0: and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond, and I thank you for joining me today. Today is another episode of our question and answer. So first of all, I guess I'd like to say thank you for all those that have submitted questions. Uh, We got a lot of great questions. Unfortunately, we have too many that I could cover in one episode here. So uh, I'll do the best I can and I hope you can get something out of it. Please don't take offense if I don't address your particular question. All right, let's jump into some of these. Um, All right, Doe Savage writes, dear Les, good morning. I'm struggling with self-love and lack of self-esteem. I am learning meditation and doing affirmations and have cultivated a two-year-long yoga practice. I do it with Qigong, and I can feel the seed has been planted. Sometimes I just feel like nothing is taking root. Do you have any suggestions, please? I really feel like I'm in the fight of my life, and I'm trying to find the joy and sacred in everyday living. Namaste and thank you. Well, thanks for that question. Uh, I find that there's, this is kind of interesting. Uh, it's, there's a little bit to unpack here. So on one hand, I am struggling with self-love and a lack of self-esteem. On the other hand, you're committed to the point where you're two years deep into a yoga practice. So, on some level, I think the way we spend our time will be some some reflection of how we feel about ourselves. There's a lot of people out there that don't have the commitment and care enough about themselves to practice yoga for two years. So, I would applaud you. I would recommend you applauding yourself and recognize that maybe you're not (laughs) void of self-love or self-esteem i mean you're doing the work and to do it with qigong i mean most people would look at a qigong practitioner and their instinct would say that looks like a complete waste of time my time is too valuable to do that for those unfamiliar with qigong there's not a whole lot going on when you're looking at someone else practicing that. I personally love that practice, but you know, it's, uh, it's not something somebody sees and says, yeah, I want to do that. So if you're willing to spend time doing that, you care. And you do reference, though, that you feel the seed has been planted. And nothing is taking root. Well, I would argue that, girl, you're taking root. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we can always have, make room for improvement on how we care about ourselves, for sure. I know, personally, I struggle with feeling good enough for various reasons and things I've done in my past. And I would say it's an ongoing practice to cultivate self-esteem and self-love. But you are practicing. You know, there's an energy of this sentence too. Um, I, you, you mentioned, I really feel like I'm in the fight of my life. Fight of my life. That's interesting. I mean, we, we all do need some challenges adversity i think it's kind of hard to make real growth without some kind of challenge that you have to overcome but i would i would like to change that sentence a little bit i mean it sounds to me like you're dancing you're doing the dance you're doing the work you're navigating life as you know how and without knowing more about what you're doing, it seems like you're doing a lot for yourself, a lot more than what most people are willing to do for themselves. I wonder if that, that word fight could be changed to dance. I really feel like I'm in the dance of my life. Why does it have to be a fight? Does it have to be a fight to find joy? Maybe it's just more of an outlook, a, ch- a choice, I remember I used to listen to Wayne Dyer a bunch. And he he would say, there's no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. Maybe you're fighting for joy as opposed to just choosing joy, practicing joy. You know, we get good at what we practice. You know, what we practice grows stronger. Maybe you're just really well-practiced at viewing through a lens of fighting. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's anything you need to necessarily do to find what you're looking for. I wonder if it's, you could look at what you're doing and expand the lens, maybe zoom out a little bit. Like what would, a, what would you tell a good friend that was experiencing what you're experiencing? And maybe if you take a different look, a different angle of what you're going through, Maybe you have a little more self love and self esteem that you just realize. So I would say stay the course. Keep, keep practicing. Let's find another one here. I hope you find that helpful. Okay, is die from this is from M, MF. I don't know what that stands for. Is diaphragmatic breathing helpful while meditating? I have chronic depression and anxiety. Diaphragmatic breathing has been recently suggested to me. I struggle to both meditate while doing the diaphragmatic breathing. Is there a way to do both simultaneously? Thank you. That's a great question. I would say diaphragmatic breathing is more of a reference of the mechanics of how we're taking air into the body. It's more of a muscular or neuromuscular sequence that takes place when we're breathing, what I would say properly or optimally, when we're in a relaxed state. So, you know, a lot of meditation uses breath as like the anchor that everything else is kind of built on because you have to give something your attention So you give your breath, your attention. Meditation is what happens as you practice that. So I would say it's not something you have to try to do simultaneously. If you have some dysfunction in the way you breathe, which after watching many people breathe for a long time as a as like an observer of movement i would say a, a large percentage of the population has some like abnormal sequencing in their breath mechanically and neurologically so if you're practic- if you're learning how to breathe diaphragmatic- diaphragmatically then just practice that. So don't feel like you have to do both at the same time. Just practice breathing anytime you have the awareness that you're watching your breath. Now, when you sit down for a session of meditation, that's a good place to start bringing your awareness to your breath and ideally, you know, work on that sequence. But in time, as you practice, that sequence should become more and more natural and you'll be able to carry it out in more and more positions. For instance, for a lot of people, it's easier to practice diaphragmatic breathing when they're lying either on your belly or on your back. There's not as much holding on of musculature to kind of hold your posture up. But then as that becomes more automatic, you could transition to other orientations and not have to work so hard to do it, but it takes time. So one idea might be to practice the diaphragmatic breathing lying down. And then once you feel like you have a good rhythm, then if you wanted to practice seated, then transition to a seated posture, practice the diaphragmatic breathing, and then allow that to to just transform into your meditation practice. Allow meditation to arise as it does as, as you practice whatever... You know, breath practice or whatever you're focusing on in that session. I wouldn't uh, tie yourself to the demands of needing to accomplish these two things at the same time. Really, the benefits in meditation is in, in the practice. The, the fact that you're sitting on a cushion or in whatever position you are, and in giving your breath the attention or doing a body scan or following whatever style of meditation, whether it be, maybe you're listening to one of Sarah's uh, guides or whatever it is. I hope you find that helpful. Let's see something else. Let's move on. Um... Okay. From Sage writes, how to approach meditation or self-love and self-care practices on days when we feel drained and we don't feel like putting the effort for ourselves. I've been struggling lately with this and I didn't find a resolve yet. Thank you. That's a good question. I think I've heard Sarah mentioned many times, like the, the days that you feel like you don't have time to meditate, or, you know, you know if I don't have 20 minutes to meditate, then you probably need 40 minutes of meditation. So on on days that you feel drained, I'm assuming you mean like fatigue, like you just don't have the energy to put forth the effort. So if, if it's a question of you feel drained, then maybe you could negotiate what the practice you're actually doing is. So for instance, um, I have a, I guess a pretty structured exercise practice. So I exercise to some level almost every day. And I always have uh, a focus like one or two qualities that I'm focused on. For instance, it might be, um, a couple of days a week. I, I, lift weights. And my focus is to gain strength. I feel like weights provide a very good tool to build that quality, but it's also pretty strenuous. And sometimes maybe my energy level isn't optimal to put forth a good effort on that day. So you just shift gears. So maybe If I'm planning on lifting heavy, I could either lift lighter and save the heavy lift for another day or just do something different, like train a different quality. Like maybe I'll just do a little more breath work and rely on maybe um, some more recovery based tools. Like I do a lot of soft tissue work, whether it be myofascial release, foam rolling, things like that. I like to use like a body thumper, self massage, or, um, Maybe, you know, take an extra long bath that day or take a nap, do something that's productive, that allows you to, you know, bring yourself a step closer to the next day where you'll have even greater energy. Um, it's easy to beat yourself up for not doing what is necessarily what, you know, is supposed to be on schedule. But these are things that, you know, they're just abstractions that we're creating in our mind. It's not like if there's something you're planning on doing for yourself one day, let's say it's exercise or take a walk or eat a healthy meal. That's not some absolute truth that's set in stone that you're supposed to do. These are just, you know, thoughts that arise that we have about, you know, a desire that we want. And ideally, you know, that Decision points in some direction that serves you well, but there's a lot of ways to get from A to B, and it's not necessarily getting off course just because you're doing something different. Uh, So if you feel drained and you don't have the energy, maybe do something that's more restorative that fills your cup more instead of you pouring from it. I mean, I love lifting weights. I would do it every day because I love it, except for the fact that it would try, I would be trashed if I did that. I mean, maybe if you're 18 years old, you could lift weights every day, heavy. And, you know, you have that resilience because you're young. I'm 43 and change. And I mean, at this age, it just seems like counterproductive. I mean, some days yeah I could lift a couple of days in a row, maybe 3. But if I do, I'm I'm bound to have a few days in my immediate future where I'm going to have to do the opposite, where I'm going to have to do more of the the things that add to the my system instead of detract from. Them. I mean, you you can't keep pouring from the cup. Eventually you have to start filling the cup up. So Uh, Sage, what I would recommend is if a day that you don't feel up for effort, then do something that allows you to be refilled if you feel drained and whatever that is for you. And, you know, maybe that's laying on the couch and watching a movie or reading a book or just sitting outside and maybe watching the wind blow the trees around. So I hope you find uh, that helpful. Here's a question. So this is kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, Claire Grace writes, hi, I have a long-term chronic illness. I'm at the beginning of trying to recover from it. I know you were sick and healed yourself and I was wondering if I could hear more about your story. Well, Claire, that is a topic I'm very passionate about. Because a big part of why this channel exists is really to empower others to play a bigger role in their own sense of well-being. And that usually includes, for a lot of people, some healing journey. Whether it's from a, a physical insult or a uh, emotional trauma. Something from our past. So... I have talked about my history a little bit, but I'll uh, summarize a little bit and, and maybe tell you where I'm at now. But uh, I, my health was kind of built on, a, I guess, a faulty foundation. I uh, grew up on like the standard American diet, eating a bunch of sugary things. And not a whole lot of nutrient dense food. It wasn't due to a lack of love from my parents. It's just, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And back then they, nobody was teaching them, you know, nutrition and how it relates to biochemistry and physiology. So they did the best they could with the tools they had at the time, just as we all do. But, um, you know, I didn't have a great foundation there. And at a fairly young age, I got into alcohol and drugs. So I did a lot of damage for quite some time. And then I started to clean up my life, clean up my habits and try to live a healthier lifestyle. But I had a lot of holes in the foundation from you know 20 years of not being kind to my body. And I had, a, I guess a perfect storm arise that was really triggered when I got bit by a tick and got Lyme disease. And I went on a pretty heavy course for a few weeks of antibiotics. And that really wrecked me. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with the microbiome. And even though that we're still kind of in the infancy stage and we're learning the complexity of the microbiome and all the functions and roles it has and how it interacts with you know, every system in our body, one thing we, we do know, it's a, it's a, they play a lot of important roles. And when it's not there, there's a lot of microorganisms and parasites that can really uh, capitalize on that opportunity. It's as if, you know, all the law enforcement left town and the bad guys have a little room to uh, spread their wings a little bit. So when I got bit by tick, went on antibiotics, all the opportunistic organisms living in me seemed to take advantage all at once. And it was uh, made worse by being under a lot of stress and not just the stress of being sick because I ha- would have anxiety about not feeling well. So that was stressful. And when your stress hormones are a little out of balance, that really doesn't bode well for the immune system. And I had some kind of emotional uh, stress going on. I had some like family stress at the time, which many of you may know is is really like the worst kind of stress. And I had all these things just bubble up. So I found out that I was living in a moldy house. And, you know, before the tick bite and antibiotics, I probably already had a lot of these things, but I was doing enough so that I was compensating well enough. Like I was getting enough sleep, eating enough good food, getting enough exercise that I was holding everything at bay. And then, you know, everything just kind of bubbled over. So I had, um I went through all kinds of different protocols and cleanses to, Work on kind of each category of organism that took over. So I had a parasitic infestation, which is, uh, which at first was really unnerving to learn about, but um, very interesting process going through anti parasitic uh, cleansing and very productive. I had to go through detoxification, uh, upgrading like my ability to detoxify uh, things related to mold illness and mycotoxins. And fortunately, I think the antibiotics did wipe out all the Lyme bugs, but then I just couldn't handle things. The antibiotics knocked out my microbiome to the extent that a lot of things that were like food related that I would be able to handle just fine for my whole life, all of a sudden I couldn't. So I would have food sensitivities and allergies come up. Um, I would have really negative responses to a number of things and it really showed itself, it would be manifested through the skin. So I would have inflammatory processes that would really be out of control all over my skin in the forms of different rashes. And now what I've learned is a lot of the rashes were immunological responses to my uh, exposure to oxalates. So uh, if you're not familiar w- about with oxalates, it's a, it's a compound in a plant that some people would say is a plant defense compound, and there might be some truth to that. One thing we do know is that they bind to minerals, so uh, plants will use oxalates to hold on to minerals that they need for their own survival. Um, But they really serve no purpose in human biochemistry. They're not a part of our physiology. It's basically a a toxin or really a poison. And your body doesn't like to have poisons floating around. And I used to live on a very high oxalate diet. So so oxalates are really known to be, in, in the medical world, it seems like they're primarily... Known just for their role in kidney stones, because kidney stones are, I think about three quarters of kidney stones are calcium oxalate stones, where you have um, calcium in your body binding to oxalate in the kidney, and it creates a crystal. They're basically, if you look at like a picture of an oxalate under a microscope, it looks like a crystal, like a glass shard or something, not something you want floating around, but your body doesn't like to have them floating around. Because, uh, you know, it doesn't like poison floating around. And it, it, it doesn't go out through the normal detox pathways. It doesn't go through like phase one, phase two, liver detox, and then get excreted easily. So if your microbiome is in tip-top shape, then um, a lot of that bacteria can metabolize those oxalates and help... Um, break them down, and then move them out. Well, when you go on antibiotics, you don't really have that spectrum of antibiotics that of probiotics that can do that. So your ability to get rid of them becomes compromised. And what the body does is it winds up stashing them in tissue to hide it, because you can't just have it floating around in the bloodstream. It's dangerous. So it could stich- stash it in all kinds of tissue. It could be um, your bones, could be organs. So it could be connective tissue. And your body waits until there's an opportunity where the gradient changes and it sees that the coast is essentially clear to start getting rid of oxalates. And one of the dangers that people come into, especially if you've had a really high oxalate diet. So if you live kind of a paleo lifestyle, there's a good chance you're eating, you know, a decent amount of oxalate. So I was on a very high oxalate diet because I didn't know what they were. I didn't know that um, they were risky. I mean, what we're told is our health foods. I mean, all the foods that are high in oxalate are generally what the media would tell you is a health food. And maybe for some people they are. I mean, some people clearly aren't affected the way others are, but it seems like when folks take a big uh, dose of uh, antibiotics, they're more likely to be negatively affected by them. And then, if you are affected by them, it could cause cause negative effects and other things like salicylates or or other things that are common in our foods that, that could now become something that we're going to be having a greater immunological reaction to like a hyperreaction from our immune system. So when I went through my healing process, I tried a bunch of different diets. And I went from a very high oxalate diet to a very low oxalate diet. And I, I, I came into what's called oxalate dumping. And that's when your body sees the coast is clear and the gray, the concentration of oxalate in your body has changed so dramatically that it starts trying to get rid of it. It's been storing these poisons and it's like coast is clear, let's get this stuff out here. And on the way out, you basically get exposure. So as your body starts pulling these things it's been hiding from your immune system, your immune system gets a big dose of it and my immune system doesn't like that and the way it tells me is my skin gets inflamed and you know for some folks eczema is not that big of a deal but when it really covers your whole body it's kind of debilitating like it's tough to leave your house it's tough to really do anything other than try to take care of it because it's not something that you could compartmentalize easy because it itches so bad and itch is a very strange phenomenon. I mean, it's if something itches really bad, it's really hard to focus on anything else. Um, and I went through the kind of Western model. I went to my primary care doctor first, and you know, they didn't really have any answers for me other than steroids, which seemed to be temporary. It would find, it would provide. Uh, help but then as soon as I would go off they would just get worse I went to dermatologists I went to a nephrologist because I had a weird blood value once I mean I went to all kinds of doctors and nobody really had any answers and then I finally fell into like uh, integrative therapies and functional medicine docs and they started to look for really the root cause and I made a lot of progress uh, going that route I still had a long road ahead of me and I tried a lot of different therapies. Um, It took a while. I didn't really know it was oxalate dumping at the time. Um, But eventually made a ton of progress. And, you know, it's not a, when you're healing from something that's chronic, just like it doesn't, you know, the problem usually didn't arise overnight. The fix usually doesn't come overnight either. And it's important, I think, when you're in the beginning, as you say, of a healing journey, to be okay with like playing the long game. And, you know, you're probably not going to, even though you could make a big difference in a week or two, sometimes if you get the right intervention, you know, it's, it's realistic for it to take you know, months, not days to really uh, make a lot of progress. And it's not always linear. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, four steps back. It's a lot of up and down. And some of my advice would be on the days that, let's say you're having a flare, things aren't going well, to not lose sight of your overall progress. That's something that one of my doctors helped me out tremendously by asking simple questions like, well, are you better off now than a month ago or six months ago or a year ago? And questions like that helped me mentally not get go crazy and stay on track and not get caught up with, oh my God, this is happening, that is happening. And that's really probably challenging advice. Um, you know, it's easier said than done. So when you're in the middle of a flare or something, you know, that's, it's not real easy to <laughs> be, be a good friend to yourself sometime or be philosophical or have perspective. But that is just something I would mention. Now, also being that you're in the beginning of the journey, the place I would start would be The GI system. So when it comes to chronic illness, I think most of it is self-inflicted, not intentionally, mostly because I just don't I think we're really uninformed about like what food is actually good for us. But I I love hearing about people's healing stories. So for years, that's what I've used to inspire myself by listening to how other people heal and then you know you hear something that you think is useful and then you try it and if it works you know you stay that course and if it doesn't you know you be honest with yourself and you shift gears but the doctors that i listen to that seem to have legitimate impact on helping people heal themselves from chronic illness the i would say the common thread between all those Is they're working on improving the gut. Like, you know, you got to get healthy from the ins, from the middle out, from the inside out. And you know, we have this tube that basically, you know, from our mouth to our anus that runs through, where there's so much that goes on, and it has such a connection to our immune system. And if you look at so many illnesses, they're all, they're almost all on some level immune related. If you think of the immune system, there's a lot of ways you could break it up. I think one simple way I like is you have like self and non-self and tolerance and defense. So for instance, if you're dealing with non-self, if you have a lack of tolerance, you have like allergies, like you're not tolerating something you should be able to tolerate, something like pollen or pet dander. They're things that aren't inherently harmful to us, but we don't tolerate them. If you're talking about a lack of defense for non-self, you're then you're talking about like pathogenic, pathogenic uh, infection, whether it be, um, bacteria or fungi or parasites or um, viruses, things that are outside there, they're not us, and we need to be able to defend against some of those things, at least enough. Some of those, you know, things outside of us have very symbiotic relationships with us. In fact, there's tons of parts that we walk around with um, that we need. If we didn't have any viruses and fungi and bacteria and even parasites, we wouldn't be able to thrive. We rely on them, but when they get out of balance, we need to be able to defend against those things or if it's something that's really um, just pathogenic version of of, uh, a bacteria or something. And then on the other side, self, if you have a lack of tolerance for the self, that would be like an autoimmune condition. Which is really like uh, an epidemic in this, in the country right now with autoimmune conditions. I think they've got, they say there's like fifty million people with some type of autoimmune condition. So that's your body, playing, uh, you know, ca- a case of mistaken identity where it's attacking something, that it doesn't realize is you. So whether it's uh, Hashimoto's, where your body's attacking the thyroid, or um, you know, it could be attacking the pancreas, it could be attacking any, any number of things in your body, your myelin sheaths, things that protect your nerves. Um, and then a lack of defense would be like cancer. Like, for instance, uh, we will need to be able to modulate our immune system to the point where when things go wrong in our own body and we have a cancerous process um, carrying on, then we need to be able to defend against ourselves in that way and and know which cells to take out, which are the strong cells that we want to keep and which ones are the ones that we know are harming if they stick around and we need to to take them out. So that like that encompasses so many things. And that's all that could all be kind of labeled the immune system. And even when you hear the idea of how most diseases that take us out have this common thread of having some kind of chronic inflammatory response, well, inflammation is part of, that is an immunological process. So our immune system is paramount for it to be robust and behave appropriately so that we could have, so that we can thrive as an organism. Well, the vast majority of our immune system kind of lives around our GI tract. So taking care of that, which means providing the things it needs and limiting the things that insult it, is really important. And unfortunately, in the world we live in now, that's kind of an uphill battle because there's so many things that can insult our GI tract. I mean, there's a, a ton of toxins in our environment now that weren't here a couple hundred years ago or even less than that. So our bodies are really pushed to the limits there. So that's something to be aware of and mindful and then work in your lifestyle ways to mitigate that. And then there's the, the side of how do we know what's right for us to get the things that we do need like basic essential vitamins and minerals. So where I would begin would be to empower yourself with a little education. I think a good place to start with that is with a book that we referenced on this podcast before. If you haven't listened to the episode with Dr. Michael Ruscio, Dr. Michael Ruscio wrote a book. And the thing I love about it, it's called Healthy Gut, Healthy You, is that it's kind of a do it yourself. It's something that I wish somebody gave to me early on in my healing journey, because it gives you kind of an algorithm. like. These are the common things that are affecting, you know, most chronic illness. And here's a very simple approach to, to make progress. And he doesn't get carried away. He doesn't, you know, recommend you go test for everything. Just try something that we know we have a lot of clinical evidence that helps a lot of people in that scenario and see if it helps you. And if it doesn't, then try this next step. And it's just a really uh, easy read. It's not too sciency, but it still gives you context of what you're trying to do and why. And it's just a great starting point. Uh, Healthy Gut, Healthy You by Dr. Ruscio. And if you haven't listened to that episode then uh, I would check out, I don't know which number it is, but check out the interview with Dr. Michael Ruscio and uh, it might be a good place to start. And if you want to start, personally, I find with, if you have a chronic illness, I don't really think the Western model is generally the best model for chronic illness. I think for acute issues, it's first rate. I mean, If you have a car accident and you're laying on the street and your spleen is on the outside of your body and you need someone to put that back in, sew you up, um, you know, functional medicine is going to be handcuffed on that one. You want to go to, you know, an ER, but when you're dealing with chronic illness, I don't think the model where you go to the doctor and you have, you know, 10 minutes to tell him your biggest complaint and him to assign a... A pharmaceutical to it to those symptoms. I just don't think that's effective. I've watched people my whole life go through that model. And I've just I don't think it's ever been successful. It, and I'm sure there's exceptions to that but I never see the people, my loved ones go to a doctor because they don't feel good. And then they become healthier because of that visit, I feel like ultimately our body does the healing, you are your own healer, you are the doctor. We have to find what's getting in its way, what's getting in your body's way of doing what it already knows how to do. It already knows how to heal. Um, sometimes it, something is as little as you're just not getting enough sleep. And that's when we do most of our healing. And you know, if you're getting five crappy hours of sleep a night and you bump that up to seven quality hours of sleep, you know that might be all the difference where your body could just resume its normal function to get on with its own healing or if it's under stress for something, you just got to find what that stress is and see what you can do to mitigate that. But um, the thing I like about integrative docs or functional medicine, or maybe even Ayurvedic medicine is there's definitely, I feel like they're asking better questions. They're coming from a framework where they're at least asking the question of where is this really coming from at the root cause? And then, uh, you know, and it's never just some quick fix, some pill you take, and then you're all better. It's, you have to learn how to adjust your lifestyle so that your body can do what it knows how to do the best it can. And, um, you know, I feel like chronic illness is generally a lifestyle issue. So when you want to get better, you have to be willing to adjust the way that, you spend your time. You, you have to look at the minutes of your day and be willing to allocate them differently so that you have some kind of different outcome. Um, and I am in constant process of that. I love that dance personally. I love that being curious uh, to see how do I optimize this? I mean, I, I don't think that we are our bodies, but I do think our body is housing, whatever we are. And if you want to be able to do the things that you want to do, you really need your body to be there so that it could, uh, you know, be that vessel holding you as you, as you dance your dance. So I love taking care of it. I mean, I think it's fun. I love doing the things that make my body feel good. So if something feels good for me, I find a way to work it into my lifestyle because I like doing the things. If I like feeling good, I used to not feel good. I used to be, you know, about 75 pounds heavier than I am now. And um, I didn't, it didn't feel good. So um, I've cleared a lot of ailments just through lifestyle. And, you know, you just change a little, little changes in many categories, meaning You know, let's say you need better sleep, you make little changes to get a little bit better sleep. If you need changes in your nutrition, you know, you just little changes at a time, build habits and, you know, try to get 1% better every week. And then before you know it, you look back and say, oh my gosh, look at all the progress I've made. I feel great. You know, what an amazing journey this has been. I've learned so much. And that's kind of how I feel now. And I'm really passionate about helping other people's other people dis, you know, discover that journey for themselves and learn that they are their best doctor. They are the healer. You just have to, uh, you know, get out of your own way and uh, live in a way that allows your body to move in that direction that you ultimately desire. I hope. That, that is helpful. That was a pretty long-winded uh, answer. But, uh, Claire, I hope that you could find something useful out of that. And if you have any additional questions about that, then shoot them my way and we could follow up. And if any of you do want a more of a one-on-one approach to altering your lifestyle in a way that you you desire, then you could reach out to us, and we have some options for that. And if you do want to support the show, if you're not a member, we do have some cool new things coming up for our membership. So you could check out and uh, join the membership, the Mindful Movement. You get some extra content. We're going to be doing some live stuff every month, coming starting in uh, in February, in this month, so in a couple weeks. So really excited about that. And we have uh, some more movement videos on the horizon too. So. Thanks again for tuning in. If you've made it this far, again, I am grateful for your listening. And I really appreciate all the feedback we're getting and all the support from everybody out there. I hope everyone has a terrific day. See you next time.